That's wonderful. You can live. Don't you love Jehovah? Jehovah sneaky? Creeping while you're sleeping? <laughs> Everyone wants to worship Jehovah Jireh because they love money. Hallelujah. Don't really believe in God, just need some more money. Then it's like God just touches you. He's not angry at you. He's in love with you. He wants you to know his goodness. Most people's idea about God is that he's a religious punishment. That's not God. That's actually Satan. Satan's the only one that uses the law to hurt people. Jesus never did that in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Prostitute. Caught in the act of adultery. Pharisees drag her by her hair, throw, him down, throw her down at Jesus' feet. What did he do? He was without sin, cast the first stone. He forgave her of being a prostitute and committing adultery. And then he even forgave all the hypocrites that were accusing her because they'd all slept with her. <laughs> it's true. Thank you, Jesus. I know you guys never seen any hypocrisy in Christianity. You've had perfect models of perfect fathers and perfect mothers and perfect apostles and perfect prophets and all your realms of Christianity, but I've dealt with pedophiles, man. I have. I grew up Catholic. You know about that. Over 10,000 cases of pedophilia between Pennsylvania and Minnesota alone. The Archdiocese of the Roman Catholic Church in the Twin Cities is officially bankrupt. Isn't that crazy? Because of all the convicted cases of pedophilia from Catholic priests. That was my only exposure to Christianity until I was 18 when I got court-ordered to Minnesota Teen Challenge for drug dealing and violence 20 years ago. 20 years ago. And I didn't believe in God. Believed Catholicism was Christianity. That's all I'd ever known about Christianity. Never heard of tongues. Never heard of any gifts. Never seen anybody walk in the Spirit. Never heard anyone even talk about the Spirit. All I'd known is drugs, alcohol, gangs, violence, really nasty stuff. I was in and out of juvie, four different high schools, lived in 28 different states before I was 18 years old, all over the USA, running from the FBI twice, crazy, 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 and God just got a hold of me and struck me with lightning. Felt like 10,000 watts of electricity as I'm sitting in Minnesota Teen Challenge. Rich Sherber's up there, can't even hear him because I'm so demon-possessed. Literally, couldn't even hear them talking about God. It was just vipers in my ears. 18 years old, 20 years ago, downtown Minneapolis, Minnesota Teen Challenge. I couldn't even hear them talking about God because I was so demon-possessed. And then I felt something hatch and crack over my soul. And I couldn't open my eyes, but I felt scales fall off my eyes, and everything was so bright. Tears started streaming down my face. Four pastors who had been praying for me, there were staff members, came over, grabbed me hand and foot. One pastor per hand, per arm, and one pastor per foot. Four pastors, and they carried me into this little room, and they began driving demons out of me for two hours. I came to, after all these demons were cast out of me, I, when the demon came out of me, it was just demon after demon after demon coming out of my heart. 
I could see where the demons been. I saw ancient visions of Mesopotamia, wars, all kinds of crazy stuff, murder, rape, everything the demon had done as it came out of me. And then I'm sitting there. The four pastors are in the room. They put me outside the room on a little couch. And they're talking amongst themselves. What are we going to do with him? And I heard the audible voice of God as I'm sitting what feels like liquid lightning. My first encounter with Jesus Christ, October 15, 1999. I'm sitting there. It literally feels like liquid lightning just surging through me. I've never felt electricity like that. At that moment, I'm higher than all the meth that I'd smoked in my entire life. And I just couldn't believe that there was a God. And I hear the audible voice of the Father over my head say, I will get you more high than all the drug addicts, and I'll make them jealous of how high I get you. That was my first day being a Christian. Pastors came out, started learning about God. I got born again, and I felt like a little baby. All my innocence was restored. My virginity was restored. All my STDs, I had STDs. There was stuff growing on me that shouldn't have been there. I was, I was so screwed up. I was brain dead from over a thousand hits of LSD acid. And I had just done as much drugs and as much rebellion as you could ever imagine as a teenager to the point of basically I couldn't read. I didn't see in color anymore, it was in black and white. I mean, I was a dead zombie, a strung out, homeless drug addict. I'd been kicked out of my house, I'd been kicked out of my high school, I was living in a hostel in Whitefish, Montana. And so, I mean, I was homeless at 18. And all this stuff was instantly healed, my virginity was instantly restored, I felt like I was floating for three months, light as a feather. I said, I, I got so angry, I couldn't believe that God had been hidden from me my whole life. I said, I'll do whatever you want with my life, Lord Jesus, whatever. Because I was certain there was no God. All I'd ever experienced in my life that I could remember up until that point was death and hell. That's all I could remember. So when I experienced heaven and the light and the glory and the, the angels and the voice of God and the power of God and the healing of God and the deliverance of God, I just gave him everything. All of you, none of me. And I followed through with it for 20 years. Two years at Minnesota Teen Challenge, I was staffed for six months, then got a full-ride Bible scholarship to North Central University Bible College. Went there for five years, graduated in 2006, been in inner-city missions in North Minneapolis and in St. Paul in the ghettos amongst the organized crime, amongst 36 organized gangs. Uh, there were times when we moved in here, 25% of every house in this neighborhood when we moved into this house, this is a crack house. 11 years ago, we moved in here. 25% of every house was boarded up, condemned. And there were crack pipes in this house. We, we got this on auction for nothing. 36, all the windows, I believe there was 36 windows we had to replace in this, they're all boarded up. There were bullet holes through all the rooms, d locks on the inside of the doors, because in the crack house, the children, they're low, and the, they have to hide in the closets and then deadbolt from inside the closets. So every closet in the house had deadbolts. There were pools of blood in the basement from execution-style murders. There were crack dealers on every corner when we moved in 11 years ago. The day we moved in, we've never seen a crack dealer on the corner of our block or the adjacent block, not even a single time in 11 years. All it took was someone who loves Jesus, who carries the realm of glory to move in, bring the kingdom in, and they're gone. The first year we were here, the st statistics of Hawthorne neighborhood, formerly Murderapolis, and the highest crime rate, highest murder rate in the upper Midwest of Southside Chicago, of the whole Midwest, this area, crime went down 44% 
when we moved in the first year we moved in in our neighborhood we have it we we shared that on Facebook and all those statistics and I'm telling you real inner city missions not that it's me it's Christ in me we give him all the glory it's about him it's his power it's his angels when you carry a realm of the Holy Spirit as a temple of the Holy Spirit God works the only problem I've ever encountered is we want to be the workers we want to look good in front of others we want them to know what I'm doing but God's not interested in glorifying you. He's interested in glorifying the name of Jesus Christ in your forehead and erasing you. The erasing of you are the consciousness of self for the abilities of the divine to do missions work in the USA and high crime areas to transform cities, to disciple nations, to do the gospel, to preach the gospel, to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cleanse the lepers, to drive out demons. It's all done by the power of Christ. It has nothing to do with us. That's the craziest stumbling block I've ever seen doing inner city missions, missions for 13 years is people get the gifts of the Spirit and they want something they can control. You notice that? That's the religious devil. They want the gifts, but they don't want intimacy with the Father. They don't want to lose control. You can't go very deep in God, in the power of God, and the glory of God, and still have control. Have you realized that yet? If you're still in control, it's because God's not. Because you don't trust God, you don't believe God. But as you trust and believe God, He transforms you. He renews you in your mind by intimacy in the garden of your heart. Where is Christ? In you. Colossians 1.27 Christ in you. The hope of realizing the glory. Comes out of your belly and goes through the heart and comes out your mind. Lift up your heads, O you gates, that the King of glory can come out. Who is this King of glory? Where is your gate? Your forehead. Revelation says three times, and I will write my name upon their foreheads, upon your minds. It's called the mind of Christ. What's the mind of Christ? It's the abilities of Christ to transform cities and nations. Amen. See, we've been wanting to do it in our own strength. You know, that's not Christianity. It's Christ entity. Entity means the centrality. Is Christ the centrality of your mind? Is Christ the centrality of your heart, of your consciousness, or is it still you? If it's still you, you're an infant in Christ. If it's Christ and you're only aware of Him and not aware of self, then you're a mature one. Two words in Greek, technon and huios. Technon are still self-aware, thinking Christianity is about them. Huios are Christ-aware, knowing Christianity is about the Father. So after you're born again, you know, you get your diapers changed for a while and you learn the ways of God. You have to actually relearn how to talk, relearn how to walk. I did. I got born at age 18. I, everything I'd ever known in my entire life was a lie. I believed in Darwinism. I mean, all this stupid crap they taught me in school, you know. Every lie of Babylon the Great had filled my soul to being completely lied, lied to and demon-possessed in every single area of my belief system. Everything I believed was a lie. I had to start over. Jesus Christ said, you can only enter the kingdom like little children because you have to relearn how to walk and relearn how to talk in the Spirit. You know how to walk and talk in the flesh. The flesh counts for nothing. John chapter 6. You have to relearn how to talk and walk in the Spirit of God, in the Spirit of grace, in the Spirit of glory. In Jesus' name. Who wants to relearn everything they know after they've spent 50 years in the flesh? And everything they've ever built in the flesh is a lie that will be burned in fire and counts for no eternal rewards. It's profane of no eternal value. Profane means of no eternal value. I mean, who will relearn everything they think they know? They who enter the kingdom relearn everything they think they know. 
and then instead of knowing, they're glowing and they're flowing in the river. Because we want it in our brain, but it's about the heart. It's about the spirit. God wants to transform our hearts. It's called the circumcision of the heart. Where does the sower sowing seed? The parable of the sower? In the heart. We want to do it in the brain because we want to control everything. That's witchcraft. Having begun in the spirit, trying to finish in the flesh. Galatians 3, 1, 1 through 3. We want to control it. We want to be witches. God wants to control it. He wants us to be sons and daughters. Losing control is actually the forgiveness of sins. The forgiveness of sorceries. It's sorcery to control Christianity out of your brain, out of your flesh. It actually tramples his blood sacrifice at Calvary underfoot because you're still in control and you use the gifts to manipulate others. That's what sorcery is. Galatians sorcery is when you use the gifts out of your own brain to manipulate people. Look at all the stuff I can do and it has nothing to do with you. It's all about God the Father. And these people have all these gifts that are irrevocable and they use them for their own ministries. They use them for their own names. They use them for their, to get tons of donations. And it's like, where's the kingdom? You're just building sandcastles. You're doing your own thing. You're you know, building little structures, little empires for yourself and your name and your ministry. You know, get tons of rewards for your little families. And what about the rest of the city? What about the rest? See, that's how you know if it's kingdom or cult. Because if it's cult, it'll be about your little clique. If it's kingdom, it'll touch society. It'll touch every man, woman, and child that has breath. Psalms 149, King David says, Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. If they're not breathing in the anointing that you're flowing in and transforming, what you got is fake. It don't work on a street level. You know? <laughs> you need to be able to confront gangsters face to face, like I have a thousand times, and be like, they back down, because greater is he who's in me than he who's in the world. It's easy to have tons of opinions when you live in safe places, because they're all full of opinions. I mean, we are, we are so mistreated by Christians in America that are full of opinions about inner city missions because they're cowards and they're not doing anything themselves. Every day we're attacked. I've been broadcasting 11 years. Not one day goes by that Christians don't attack me because I expose they're cowards. They're not actually doing anything to change society. They're just living in little, little safe places, pretending to have their own relationship with God. But your relationship with God touches others. Everything you do in the secret place of your heart immediately affects every heart around you. And if you're a coward in your heart, you'll pass it on to your friends and family. If you're brave and courageous in your heart, you'll pass it on to your friends and family. you pass it on to your neighbors. Everything that's developed in your heart as the sower sowed seed in the heart is passed on to everyone around you. Out of the heart proceed the issues of life. Out of the heart the mouth speaks. And if it's not from the heart, it's not genuine, it's not real, it's not true. So Jesus Christ says, Take the sword of my spirit and circumcise your hearts. We want to look good in front of others on the outside. Jesus Christ called the Pharisees, uh, what is it, Matthew 23, white-washed tombs, because they were only godly externally. <laughs> and God only sees the heart, so he was completely dissatisfied with their forms, how they looked before others, you know? And then they judged the Nazarite in the river, looked like cousin It from Adam's family, because he was a Nazarite, John the Baptist. Never cut his hair or his beard his whole life. Judge him, you know, it looks like a homeless guy. But he's, you know, the Elijah that was to come according to Jesus Christ. So you got the, all the whitewashed tombs judging the Elijah that was to come in the river, looking like Cousin It. And they're like long flowing garments, 
You know, did you know that the Pharisees were all millionaires and the high priest was a billionaire and that they murdered Jesus because of love of money, the Bible says? They only were externally godly because they loved controlling people and they loved their giving. Now, when you come with the real deal of the sword of the Spirit that circumcises hearts, people will freak out because they're so uncomfortable and so not used to true apostolic and prophetic ministry that deals with the hidden person of the heart, that actually changes a person internally to go from glory to glory in the secret place, in the cleft of the rock, in the garden of the heart. You know, where we have intimacy with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Christ in you, the hope of realizing the glory. (laughs) External religion is Jezebel's witchcraft. Internal Christianity is what Jesus brought. John 7:38. Out of your belly will flow rivers of the Holy Ghost. Who knows the Holy Ghost coming out of their belly? Only the New Covenant Christians, according to Jesus Christ, in the red letters. All who are thirsty, come and drink. Do you know that Jesus only offered a salvation message as a cup that can be drunk? There is not one instance from Matthew to Revelation in the New Testament where salvation was offered in any other way except by drinking His blood. And it's mentioned many times, many times. It's not even a minor message. It's the major message of the New Testament. Drink His glory. Drink His spirit. Drink His blood. What is His blood? It's not human blood. He's transfigured. Woman, do not cling to me. I have not yet ascended to my Father. Mary Magdalene at the tomb. Don't touch me. Why? Because I'm going to go to my Father, pour out my blood on the actual throne and fulfill the new covenant so people can have my spirit without measure on earth as it is in heaven. So that everyone can have the river just like I have the river. Don't corrupt the blood. Don't touch the blood. (laughs) So he brought his blood to his Father. Acts chapter 1, he ascended into the cloud. It is written and fulfilled the new covenant. And on Pentecost, he poured out his spirit and gave the Christians his spirit without measure, his anointing, his glory, his laughing tongues of fire. And they got so whacked, they had to explain they were not drunk on alcohol. So what's the experience of the Holy Ghost in Acts chapter 2? You might look drunk. (laughs) You might look intoxicated. You might look like you just smoked a blunt. Seriously. A good sermon should always make you feel like you just smoked some good reefer because you're getting high on the glory realms. It's called ecstasy. The ecstasies of God are everywhere in the New Testament. Paul's in ecstasy all the time. Peter falls into a trance in Acts. The word trance is ecstasy in Greek. You know, where you're so overwhelmed in your soul by the Holy Spirit that you're not having earthly experiences anymore, but heavenly experiences. Is seeking ecstasies good? Yes, he's the spirit of ecstasy. They're all in the cup of the new covenant, and it's all based on intimacy in your heart. Seeking experiences with Jesus Christ are wonderful. He wants you to encounter him. He wants you to have physical relationship with him. And I'm not talking about anything weird here. I'm talking about your senses overloaded with the Holy Ghost, like Acts chapter 2, Pentecostal drunken glory where there's resting tongues of fire, and when you get up and preach, there's so much anointing on it that 3,000 are added unto your number that day. And everyone's healed, everyone's blessed, and revival breaks out. Because you're in the glory. Because you're in the fire. And every other word that was in your head of fear and doubt and worry and cares of this word is incinerated by the tongues of fire. 
What are the tongues of fire in Acts chapter 2? The words of God. What is the word of God? Revelation tells us the King of kings and the Lord of lords is the word of God. The word of God is active, energizing, and it's working like a lightning bolt through your souls to remove everything in your souls that disagrees with it. Because he loves you and he wants to possess you. He's the lifter of our souls. You have to come to a place where you so trust him that you can attach your mind to the wings of eagles and soar into higher realms of glory that you know nothing about. Haven't you ever read that? We mount wings as eagles and we soar. What are the eagle's wings? Attaching our mind to the truth of the spirit of truth that leads us into all truth and going higher in the spirit. You will receive the spirit of truth and the spirit of truth will lead you and guide you into all truth. What's the all truth? It's the glory realm that Jesus lived in so that he was never sick, he never died, and the only problem he had was getting people to believe in him because they were such unbelievers and they were so carnal, earthly, unspiritual, and demonized. You know? They're at, <laughs> you look at Pontius Pilate and you look at all the Israelites there. What are they chanting? We have no king but Caesar. We have no king. There's the Messiah. There's the Savior of the world. And if I hadn't encountered this 100,000 times with 100,000 different Christians, I'd say, well, you know, it was just them back then. But the same thing takes place now. Christians are more excited about paying taxes than paying tithes. Do you even want the Messiah? Do you even want King Jesus? And you don't have to pay tithes. But I mean, just as a perspective, and I know that will touch people's hearts because they're so stingy and they love money so much. Caesar takes 40% of your money. Jesus is like cheerful giving only. But I have continuously dealt with Christians that are more like those Pharisees and those Israelites. We have no king but Caesar. They're more excited about the politics of the natural realm than the king of glory coming in the clouds. And it's like, we don't even believe in God. We don't even believe the Bible anymore. It's like, we need Donald Trump to save us from our sins or something now. Maybe Donald Trump died on the cross for our sins. And God bless Donald Trump. I love him. I do. He's anointed. He's a member of the army of the Lord. But I'm telling you guys, we need faith in Jesus. <laughs> We need to get right in our own hearts to believe in all the words of God, all the tongues of fire, and remove everything else from our hearts that distracts us so we can be temples of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 6 says, And you are now the temples of the Spirit of God, so that no other spirit should be working in your soul, no other distraction, no other temptation, no adultery, no lust, no pride, no religion, no self-righteousness. No idols and no immorality. Two things the book of Revelation preaches against, and only two things if you read it. Immorality and idolatry. Those are the two things that will kill you. If you get the immorality out of your hearts by intimacy with the Father, just taking His love over all the false pleasures of the flesh, and you can do it. His grace is sufficient for you. You can overcome any addiction. I've overcome so much it's insane. If I can do it, you can do it. You can overcome addiction. You can overcome lust. You can overcome pride. You can overcome religion. You can overcome your flesh. There's enough grace and love of God the Father here so that your spirit can be energized to overcome the world. Revelation 2 and 3 says, Blessed are they who overcome the world, for they will sit with me on my throne, and they shall rule the nations, dashing them to pieces like pottery. 
Now that doesn't sound very loving, but it is. Because the love of God removes the flesh. Doesn't hurt the flesh. Heals the soul. So that the flesh can be a good servant of Christ in your soul. Amen. God doesn't want to hurt anyone. God wants to heal everyone. For God so loved the world. I'm telling you, the leaves of this tree are the healing of all nations. All nations. I don't care what you believe in the natural realm. It's not based on brain matter. It's not based on economics. It's not based on classes. It's not based on education. It's not even based on your religions. It's, a base, it's based on a relationship with Jesus in your heart so you can learn to love unconditionally. Unconditional love. It's called agape. Jesus loved everyone perfectly. God is love. Can you love people that disagree with your political systems? Can you love Democrats? I live in a crazy, you know, communist. My sister's a communist. Went to the University of Minnesota. I'm not. I'm a kingdom of heaven Christian. But I'm telling you, can you still love these people even though they don't agree with you with anything in their human intellect? You have to come to a place where you're sacrificing being right to being loving. <laughs> there is no greater love than laying your life down and serving others more highly than yourself. You don't have to be right. You just have to be loving. This love is not human love. How will they know we are Christians? Jesus Christ said, they will know we are Christians by our love. Not phileo love, not being nice, but agape love by self-sacrifice to give them a drink of the new covenant, to give them the Holy Spirit, to give them the tongues of fire, to get them in the river and baptize them in the Garden of Eden, in Mount Zion, and to surround them with angels so they don't dash their feet against the stone. God was speaking to me today. The greatest mantle of intercession is being able to cover the weakest people in your tribe. You are only as great in your apostolic or intercession, intercession mantle as your ability to protect and heal and cover the weakest members of your tribe. Seriously. The weakest. Just like a wolf pack. Hallelujah. You'll have the strongest one in the far back, the leader of the pack, in the way in the far, and you have all the sick and the elderly right in front of them, and then you have everyone on guard. But the leader always takes care of the sickest and the weakest and the oldest. If you can't take care and cover and protect the the sickest, the weakest, and the oldest, you are in, you are not fit to be a leader in Christianity. I'm telling you. That's the apostolic nature of Moses. You can study the Exodus coming out of Egypt and all the way into the Promised Land. That apostolic nature is the protection of the weak. That's your greatness. I mean, anyone can get baptized the Holy Spirit, speak in tongues, and, and have a power ministry and go around because you got a gift, you got hot hands, lay hands on people. But can you cover the weak? Can you protect those that are totally insane on religion, even though it's like everything they say is alive? Can you still love them? Can you still cover them? Can you still protect them below and above with the tree of life? Yes, you can. That's what agape is. Agape love fathers you even though you're in total rebellion, total sin, you're sick, you're diseased, everything's wrong in your soul. You're, you know, That's God the Father's nature. Luke 15 shows the prodigals of religion and the prodigals of rebellion. The older one did everything right and he was religious. You know, went to church every Sunday, never done any rebellion, did all the stuff in the New Testament, but he still wasn't in the Father's house. He's angry at the younger one that comes back, gets forgiven, and gets a party thrown. So you see all humanity there in either re religion 
or rebellion. And the Father's answer for everyone is equally the same. Come into my house and feast. You have to feast on Jesus Christ. Whether you're religious or whether you're rebellious, the answer is all the same. Jesus Christ and Him crucified, you eating His flesh, which is His Word, and you drinking His blood, which is His presence, His power, His anointing, His Spirit without measure. Amen. And whether you're re religious or rebellious, all your sins get washed away as you feast on Jesus. Jesus becomes the centrality of your heart and your mind. He becomes the centerpiece of your intellect, your mind. He becomes the centerpiece of the garden of your heart, your marriage covenant. He becomes your God. He becomes your Lord. He becomes everything. Then you are Christians, Christ ones, anointed ones, because Christ himself has become the centerpiece of your life, and your whole world revolves around his throne, the lamb on the throne. And from the lamb on the throne proceeded the river of life. That's when you overflow into everyone around you. Only after when Christ becomes the centerpiece of your life. We love you guys. Be blessed. We'll see you tomorrow. Amen. Glory.